I hope our kids have a great time in Transformation Station today. They can head on back to be with our team there. I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's Indestructible Word to the Gospel of John. We'll be in chapter 10 today, starting in verse 22. And uh, for those of you that I've not had the privilege of meeting yet, my name is Tanner Turley. I serve as one of the pastors here of Redemption Hill. I'm really thankful you could join us today. And if you've never had the opportunity to attend Next, uh, which is a free luncheon after the service uh, for, for people that are maybe relatively new to Redemption Hill, uh, it's a great opportunity to meet some other uh, really cool people like yourself and uh, get a free meal and learn just a little bit. It's a 45-minute deal. We'll have you in and out. You get your lunch and you'll be on your way. Um, but it's a, it's a great time and we always uh, enjoy hosting that. So uh, that'll be right after the service. Go ahead and please, uh, you know, make, make plans to uh, attend that uh, with us. Well, uh, it's uh, an exciting time of the year, uh, not only because it's, it's Easter season and we're focusing, uh, as we do each week of the year, uh, on Christ, just in an amplified and in, in a special way as we meditate on his life and his death and his resurrection. Uh, we're going to focus on that this morning, of course, but uh, there's a, another reason that's particularly special to me personally, uh, and that is I'm a huge basketball fan. Many of you know that about me. My father uh, was a high school basketball coach, coached for over 30 years, over 600 wins in the state of Kentucky, pretty big deal uh, there and everywhere. And uh, so I, lo- I just love basketball. And if you, if you haven't caught, you know, the news lately, it's March Madness. Maybe you filled out your bracket, you know, open the, when your office, you know, pool or whatever. Um, but, um, but, but, you know, in Boston, uh, we, we, we maybe appreciate March Madness to a degree, uh, but, but, you know, Boston is not so much a college sports town, but it's, it's more of a pro sports town, right? We have, I mean, when you have the Sox, the Celtics, uh, the, the Bruins and the Patriots, I mean, it's just, that's, that's the way it is, right? Uh, so tomorrow night, uh, I am going to be with uh, a group of people from Medford because it's Medford night at the Garden, all right? So, um, so I am going to have the privilege of taking my oldest daughter, Parker, to her first Celtics game uh, tomorrow night. Now, um, now, 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 for those of you that have been to a Celtics game, uh, you know that there, there are many side attractions to the main attraction of the game itself, right? So uh, the moment that you walk into the garden, you have uh, just kind of a, a sensory uh, explosion, right? I mean, there are all kinds of different attractions and festivities in the concourse area. Uh, of course, there are the concession stands, and I can imagine that Parker may talk me into a piece of pizza or some popcorn or some nachos. Um, there's a chance, a slim chance, I could just get away with the Sprite because she's a really easy-to-please kid, and she just thinks that's the best thing in the world. She can just get a Sprite. Isn't that sweet, you know? I don't know how long it's going to last, but I may just walk away with a $10 Sprite, you know, tomorrow night and be, be good. Uh, but but you, have, you have all that going on. Then when you get into the arena itself, you look up, and let's just take a moment of, you know, appreciation, Celtics fans, all the banners, Right? 17 banners, championship banners that hang in the rafters of the garden. Your, your eyes go up there, and then you have scoreboards all around the arena, advertisements that are, you know, flowing left and right. Um, you have the, the halftime show. You have Lucky, uh, the leprechaun, and all of his guys that do the crazy dunks, you know, during the timeouts. It's a, an amazing experience, right? I even love the crowd, right? I mean, there's some crazy people in the crowd, and they'll throw up on the jumbotron, like the people dancing, and you know, and that's, you know, some of you go to the game just to try to get on the, the jumbotron, I, I know, and that's, you know, pretty, 
pretty, you know, good reason to go to the game, right? But, but here, here's, the, here's the thing. We can, we can go to the garden tomorrow night and, and get so caught up in all of the side attractions that it's possible that we miss in part, we, we kind of miss the, the main attraction, which is the game itself, the Celtics, right? We can kind of get so focused on everything around the game that we miss the game itself to a degree. And I think this is what happens in Christianity with, with Jesus. You see, if you ask someone, what, what is Christianity about? Christianity is Christ. Jesus is the issue. He is the main attraction. And so our focus should be on him. I mean, he says it in the, in the Gospel of John. We've been working our way through the Gospel of John. In the very first chapter, uh, verse 43, Jesus just simply says to, to those around him, follow me. I am the issue. I am what Christianity is all about. The Apostle Paul, who was one of the great leaders of the early church, uh, he would say uh, this in, in Philippians 1:21. he would say, for to me, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. Christ defines everything about me. Christ drives everything in my life. Christ is who my life is directed toward. He is the goal. He is the reason I exist. He is what I am living for. And so today, as we, as we look at John chapter 10, verses 22 through 42, and, and especially as we embark on this holy week, this journey toward Good Friday and Easter, I want to invite us to take a really long look at Jesus. A really long look at Jesus Christ. Because here, here, is, here is the issue as we think about focusing on the issue Jesus. Um, we live in a very distracted culture, do we not? It's, it's not easy to focus on anyone or anything for prolonged periods of time. This is just the world we live in today. And we could use that as an excuse and say, you know, it's like it's difficult, so I'm just going to kind of give my, cut some, some slack here. And, but, 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 but we need to, to fight for our eyes being fixed on who Jesus is, what he has done, the gift that he is to us. Just think about our culture. Uh, some stats that I, I ran from this company called uh, Domo. They um, provide uh, business solutions to uh, executives and all kinds of data. So they, they're tracking all this stuff. Look at this. This is a 2014 study. They said it every minute, every, every, every single minute, 60 seconds, um, Facebook users will share nearly two and a half million pieces of content. Twitter users every minute will tweet nearly 300,000 times. Instagram users will post uh, nearly 220,000 photos every minute. Email users, don't we all love, love our, our inboxes? Um, 200 million messages every minute. And Amazon generates a cool 80, 80, 80 grand every minute from online sales. The point here is that we live in the information age, right? And, and we are on information overload. 
to where all of these apps on our phone and all of these messages that are coming at us, whether we're on the tee or watching TV in our living room, I mean, we, we are constantly under this pressure of being distracted from every angle. And this is not just the culture of the culture. It can be also the culture of the church. And here, here's what... Here's what I want you to consider. If, if, if Christianity is Christ, if Jesus is the issue, there is a danger for us to focus on a lot of good things, a lot of noble things that come to us, even flow to us from Christ, like salvation, really big deal, like forgiveness, like the, the, the gifts of, of peace and, and joy and purpose and life until all of a sudden we, we can actually slip into becoming so focused on these things that we miss that the giver himself is the greater gift. And if not for the giver, the gift would not be a gift at all. And so I want to invite us today as we, as we sing songs and as we uh, hear from the Bible, as we maybe read the Bible through the week, as we uh, engage in good deeds and do a, a, a thousand great things um, for Jesus or in the atmosphere of Jesus, like host method extravaganzas and try to love our, our, our city and, and, you know, could we be doing all of these things and maybe missing Jesus as the main attraction, the, the one who is the greatest gift. Robert Murray McShane said this a couple centuries ago. He said this, this brilliant wisdom. For every one look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. Every time you, every time you look at your own life, every time, just take 10 at him. Look to him more. Focus on him more. Don't be so easily distracted, not only by, by what's going on around you, but even what's going on with you. Keep your focus on Christ. He is the issue. So this morning, I just want to ask you, is Jesus central in your life, or is Jesus secondary? He's, he's either one or the, or the other, right? He is, he is either the central reality of our life, the one we are, we are focused on and chasing after, or he is uh, some secondary piece in, in all of these other pursuits that we have in life. And so the invitation today from John 10 is, is to make Jesus central, to recognize him as, as the Son of God, the one who is to be central every second of our lives. And so today I want to invite you to, to make Jesus central by believing in his words and in his works. Let's, let's read these opening verses together. I want to read down through verse 24 because here we just see the central issue right at the beginning of this narrative. Uh, this is what John writes. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him. They kind of encircled Jesus and they say to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. You see, this, this is the issue that is driving the gospel of John. Who is Jesus? Is Jesus who he says he is? Could he really be the son of God? Could Jesus really be the Messiah? 
And so these, these leaders of the Jews, they, they, they encircle Jesus and they say, hey, are, are, like, why, are you, why are you keeping us in suspense? Are you, are you the one or, or not? And so there, there are, this is simple logic, um, there are only two answers to that question. Yes, I am, or no, I am not. Yes, I am the Messiah, or wait, no, you're crazy. You've got the wrong one. And so we see then how Jesus uh, answers in verse 25. Uh, look, look, at, look at verses 25 through 30. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand I and the Father are one. So what what Jesus does here is he makes it abundantly clear who he is. And he's saying saying to the people hearing his voice in that day, and and by consequence, uh, those of us who are hearing his voice, hearing these words today, that the same reasons to believe in March of 2016 are the same reasons to believe in, in AD 30 or 31 or 2, whatever, whatever this, this date would have been. And, and that is this. The words of Christ are words like no one ever spoke. And the works of Christ were, were works like no one ever performed. And Jesus is saying, look, if you want to believe in me, believe because of the words that I speak and believe because of the works that you see. They are, they are verifying, they are pointing to the fact that I am the Son of God. And so those are my encouragement for us. It's super, super simple uh, truths, but, but infinitely deep reasons, infinitely deep to uh, reasons to believe in him. So, so number one, I believe in Jesus because of his words. Look, look at what he says in verse 25. He just starts off, and he's, he's, very, he's very to the point. You got to appreciate that about Jesus, right? He would get along well in, in, in New England, I think. Just tell it like it is, right? He's like, I already told you. And like, you're saying I'm keeping you in suspense. I've already given you the message, and I've told you multiple times, I mean, the, the words of Christ point to uh, who he is, how great he is. Um, people said that they didn't even believe in him. We saw in John chapter 7, verse 46, no one ever spoke like this man. And, and, and the words of Christ are, are not simply, listen to this, not simply authoritative words or true words or life-giving words. As it, I mean, there certainly are that, but, but the words that Jesus speaks are, are even uh, more powerful than that because the words that he speaks are the very words of God because he is the word of God. So the opening words of the Gospel of John simply say this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He, so the word is a person, was, was, was with God in the beginning. So Jesus, think about this. What does it mean for Jesus to be the word? Not only did he create all things through the word of his power, Hebrews chapter 1, verifying, you know, John chapter 1, but, but Jesus is the very expression of God. So if you want to know what God is like, you just look at, at Jesus. Jesus. 
If you want to know uh, this God who flung uh, the stars into existence, just look at, at Jesus. If you want to know the God who keeps our hearts beating, even in this very moment, we, we just look to Jesus. He is the revelation of God. He is the one who explains who God is. And so why would he then say, though, uh, I've already told you. So it was through, as, as John has recorded for us, it's through personal encounters as well as public conversations that Jesus has told them plainly who he is. John chapter 3 told Nicodemus that I am the son of man who came down from heaven. Among, amongst the leaders in Jerusalem, uh, after he healed the lame man, uh, he said that my father is always at work and I too am working. And the people knew that by this statement and by his actions on the Sabbath that he was making himself equal with God. That's a pretty powerful claim. In John chapter 5, he says, I have authority over life and death. Who says that? Like anybody, anybody said that this week at your workplace? Like, hey, I know you're frustrated, but hey, I've got a, pow- a power over life and death. You don't need to be worrying about what the boss said. Like, no, one, no one's saying that. Jesus Before Abraham was, I am, invoking the divine name. Even last week, I am the good shepherd. I mean, God had revealed himself as a shepherd to Israel. One of the most famous songs uh, a thousand years ago, and one of the most famous psalms of today, Psalm 23, the Lord is what? My shepherd. The Lord is, is shepherd. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He's told them again and again and again, but they are hard of hearing. They won't listen to his words. But then for him to say in in verse 30, listen to this, I and the Father are one. This is an absolutely staggering statement. Make no mistake, Jesus is saying, the God that you worship, your Father, I am one with him. I am perfectly united to him, both in function and purpose, as we see in in verses 27, 8, and 9, but also this this unity of of purpose and function flows from a unity of essence and being. In other words, they share the same nature. They are exactly the same, equally divine. And if you say, like, well, you can't conclude that from Jesus just simply saying, I and the Father are one, I would just say, well, we'll look at the reaction uh, of, of these, these people. What does it say then in verse 31? The, the Jews, they picked up stones again to stone him. And, and Jesus then responds, well, for what good work are you seeking to stone me? I love the courage of, of Christ. And, and the Jews answered him in verse 33, it's not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but, but for blasphemy. Because you being a man, make yourself God. It's crystal clear. Jesus is is claiming to be divine. And so for Jesus to say that that I share the same essence of the Father is, is, is to say, I am God. This is what the the church has celebrated throughout the centuries. If you look at the Nicene Creed written in in, uh, 325 AD, this is one of the central confessions of the church, that the church, even including this church, can can recite with with joy. Uh, We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence of the Father. 
So when Jesus speaks, God speaks. And when, when Jesus speaks, his words carry life-transforming power. So I love what, what Jesus goes on to do uh, in, in verses uh, 34 uh, through 7. Uh, read these with me. Um, he, he says, it is, not, is it not written in your law, I said you are God's? If he called them God's to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? So so what Jesus does here is he uses words that they would affirm to make the argument that it is perfectly consistent for him, though he is a man, to claim to be God. Now, let me show you how this works. Follow the argument, okay? What Jesus does is he quotes the scriptures. He quotes Psalm 82, and he says, in in the scriptures that you view as authoritative for your life and inspired by God, he's saying that in that psalm, it refers to these human judges those who are representing God as as judges on earth, it actually calls them gods. So Jesus says, if if you accept that word as as them pointing to a representative uh, from God and and you're you're accepting that truth, then it's, it's, it's not a stretch for me then to say today that I am the son of God. He is arguing from the lesser to the greater here. And then in these words, what we have, and I love this, we have one of the clearest statements on the trustworthiness of the Bible when Jesus, in this one simple phrase, says what? And Scripture cannot be broken. So what Jesus is saying is, he's talking about the Old Testament Scriptures here. He's saying that they they are perfect and true and reliable and unbreakable. They will always stand because they come from God. And now today we know that we not only have the words of God in the Old Testament, but we have the the word of God handed down to us from the New Testament, written by the apostles of Christ, also inspired by God, as, as even the New Testament itself attests to. And so one of the reasons, if you just ask me, like, Tanner, like, why today do you believe that, that the Bible is reliable and it is what it is, I would just say, well, because Christianity is Christ. Because for me to live is Christ. Because I want how I live in this moment, I want it to be like Jesus, and Jesus believed the Bible was the word of God, and so I can, I can side with him on this one as well. This is why I believe that I can stake my life on the words of this book. They're perfectly consistent. They're perfectly reliable. They're perfectly true. They're they're perfectly life-giving. Just, again, put them to the test and see. And so let me just just state this again. Um, One of the clearest indicators of our spiritual health is how well, how frequently we are reading the words of Scripture how much we are enjoying and delighting in the words of Scripture and how much we are then actually putting those words into practice. And so, so let me just, just, if you notice I didn't say read and then do, right? Did you catch that? 
I said, read and enjoy, and then enjoy the doing. This is, this is if, if, we're, if we read the Bible without a smile on our face, we're reading it wrongly. The God who loves us. That, remember last week, the God who found us and put us on his shoulders as the good shepherd and rejoices about it? Like, isn't that, this just blows our mind, which is why I think we struggle to have joy in life and joy as followers of Christ because we can't imagine that God is so elated over us that he rejoices over us in this way, which then is going to affect how we are rejoicing on a day-to-day basis. But the more we see Jesus for who he is as the light of the world, right, and, and the giver of life, then then it's going to cause us to rejoice. It's going to cause us to enjoy everything that we do in his name. There's no burden here. There's absolutely no burden with those who follow Jesus. It is an absolute joy. It's one continuous celebration. So Jesus says, you can believe in me because of my words, but he says you can also believe in me because of my works. My words told you and my works are telling you that I am the Messiah. And so what are some of those works? Well, just even in this gospel, right? This isn't comprehensive, right? Like John couldn't record every instance of everything. He even says that at the end of the book. Like if we were to say all the things that, if we were to write all the things that Jesus did, like there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain all of the great things that he has done. But we've seen several. We've seen him be, you know, gracious to Nathaniel when Nathaniel's talking smack about him, like, can anything good come from Nazareth? And his friends just say, come and see, and Jesus shows up, and he starts talking about how he knew him before he even uh, arrived, and, and Nathaniel's, like, taken totally by surprise, right? I mean, so, so there are these little instances that, that show us who Jesus is, that he's gracious, that he's merciful, that he's patient with us that he loves to provide when people are about to be shamed at a wedding and they run out of wine and then he turns water into wine, that he'll feed 20,000 hungry people from a a couple of of, of loaves of bread and, and a few fish. He'll make a lame man walk and be able to dance. He'll give a blind man sight. These are the works of Jesus, and they should amaze us, and they should cause us to smile even now, even now. It's amazing that this God would reveal himself to us in this way. Amazing. I hope you see the way that John is presenting Jesus in this kind of rhythmic fashion, all right? So so we have these, these signs of Jesus, right, these miracles that point to who he is as the Son of God, and then these statements that will often explain the sign, all right? So, so let me just show you this. is rhythm, okay? So Jesus will, um, he will uh, feed 5,000, really 20,000 people roughly, and then he'll start talking about and explaining how this sign points to the greater reality that he is what? The bread of life. I am the bread of life. If you're hungry, come to me because I can, I can satisfy your stomach for a little bit, but I can, I can satisfy your soul forever. His works point to who he is. Or sometimes he'll provide a statement, John will provide a statement of Jesus, and then, and then he'll show how the sign verifies the statement. Like in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever uh, believes in me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And then in John chapter 9, what happens? 
Jesus is walking out of the temple. He stumbles upon a blind man. Hey, uh, Mr. Blind Man, would you like to see? Because I can make people that see total darkness have light and see for the rest of their life. And that's exactly what happens. His work is verifying his word. Amazing. Amazing. His works are consistent with his identity. His works are telling us that he is the son of God. And and, and it's not just that that he, he is the son of God, that he is God, but what kind of God he is, right? So just think about this, all right, in a very concrete kind of way. All right, ducks quack, right? Ducks quack, dogs bark, birds fly, and the Son of God makes blind people see and lame men walk, and, 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 and he, you know, walks on water and, and even raises the dead and, and rises from the dead himself. That's what the Son of God does. But the way that he does it reveals that this God who stands behind all of creation He is kind. He is benevolent. He is the abundant provider. He is the protector of his people. He is everything that we could ever hope for or or dream of, and he is even more than that. And we see this again in this this passage. You you might have almost missed it. I know I read through it and kind of didn't pause, but, but look at verse 27 again. It just says that he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And that's a really good deal. Like, Jesus could just stop there, you know? It's like, for, for, for Tanner to know the God of the universe and be in with him and follow him, like, that's just enough. I don't even need anything else. But, but look at what he says in verse 28. I give them eternal life, and they will, this is a promise, they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Do you you see the picture here? Do you see the picture of the good shepherd of, of John 10, 11, and 14? He's saying, I love my sheep. I love my people so much. That when I give them life, I give them life in an irrevocable way that is totally protected and safe. Don't need any life insurance policies with this, okay? Like, it is going to be done and accomplished. So so the picture here is that the good shepherd has us in his hand, and he says, no one's getting to my people. I have the power over life and death. No No one can come through me to get to them. And if that wasn't enough, then he says, you know what? My people are doubly secure because my father gave them to me and now they are safe not only in my hand, but they are safe in the father's hand of protection. This means, and this is so comforting and powerful, nothing, no one, nothing in life or death, not angels nor demons, not the present nor the future. Paul would say in Romans 8, like, nothing can touch my security and salvation in Jesus Christ. Absolutely nothing. Not a bad word, not some critics. If we are in Christ, we are untouchable. So let me put this in very plain terms, all right? God's grace 
gets us into the Christian life. Can't earn it. Can't do enough good things to be, you know, acceptable to God. That's why Jesus died, so we didn't have to on the cross. That's what we're celebrating this week. Really good news. Really, really good news. But God's grace not only gets us into the Christian life, God's grace keeps us in the Christian life. So, so, so what I'm, yes, that's what I'm saying. Like, Pastor Tanner, are you saying that, that you need God's grace as much today as you did on the first day? Absolutely. But that grace is going to absolutely get me across the finish line. You can't stop. Eternally secure. You can even use the phrase, it's not as helpful as eternally secure, I don't think. But once you're saved, you're always going to be saved. And I know it's like in our experience, like when we hear people that are, that are say like, well, I follow Jesus, but they never live like Jesus. So, so are they in? Are they in the hand and secure and good and to finish line? And like, what do we do with that? And what we do with that is what Jesus did with that in Matthew 7. He said, many, many are going to say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do all of these things? Like, did we not show up to redemption hell like 52 Sundays a year? And did we not even help out at the, the egg hunt? And, did we... and Jesus is going to say, like, I, never, I, I don't know your name. I don't know you. And the, way, the reason he's going to say that is because they don't belong to him. They're not his people. They never really heard his voice. They never really came to him. They never really believed in what he did. They never really received the gift of his work on the cross and believed in his resurrection and had their life changed from the inside out, what Jesus calls in John chapter 3, born again. They never were made new. And, and the way that, that John, the apostle, the, the writer of this gospel, will put it in his little letter, 1 John chapter 2. He will say that people will go out from us, and this is super sad, right? Like, we hate this. This isn't even going to happen in our church. This, this really has happened. People have kind of come in, and they say, Man, I'm a Christian. And they, they disappear, and they go off and live a totally different lifestyle, contrary to Christ. What, what John will say is, look, they went out from us because they were never of us. They never really belonged to us. And that should break our hearts. And we should pursue those people like the good shepherd has pursued us so that they can hopefully see the light before it's too late and then become secure and end with Jesus. So, so I wanted to answer that question because it's a question I get all the time as a pastor. Like my, my family member says they you know follow Jesus but they don't live like him and I don't really want to be a part of that if that's what... Christianity has to offer it drives me crazy. But this, but this word from Christ is to be comforting, is to be encouraging to us. He is the good shepherd. His works reveal his identity and who he is. Now, let's just ask this question. How do we, how do we receive this? In Hebrews chapter 9 Verse 12 explains it so well. It says this, He entered once for all into the holy places, Jesus, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. What? Thus securing an eternal redemption. What Jesus did on Good Friday, suffering for the sin of the world, Suffering innocently on a Roman cross, dying in our place. 
That is what gets us in, and that is what keeps us in and enables us to cross the finish line. We should never get tired of hearing this. If, if listen, I just think about this week, right? It was like last week, good shepherd, like lots of Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And this week, like Jesus is the issue, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And like even in the back of my mind, I'm just gonna be transparent here. Even in the back of my mind, I'm hearing these voices say like, be more practical. Give, give 10 steps on how you can, you know, have a, have a better, you know, work life. And we're actually gonna talk about working a good week, a few weeks from, from, the, from the word. Um, but you hear what I'm saying? Like, People know about Jesus already. Mike Reeves says this, our boredom reveals our blindness. Our boredom reveals our blindness. If we are, if we are bored with the truth about Jesus, the issue is not with him, it's with us. We're not seeing him clearly. The words of Christ, the works of Christ were meant to inspire belief. And so this is what, this is how the chapter ends. Once again, we see this divide with, with when people hear the words of Christ and when they see the works of Christ, they are falling in one or two of two camps. He is the son of God. I believe and I follow him or he is not and I'm rejecting him. I'm calling him a blasphemer. Uh, look, at, look at what it says. It says in verse 40, he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first and there he remained. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true and many believed in him there. And I just, love, I just love verse 42. Maybe I, maybe I need to make that the verse that I'm like meditating on this week, right? I and the Father one, that's verse 30, I got that. Uh, verse 42, and many believed in him there. And so what I wanna do this week, what I wanna pray and what I wanna invite you to pray is that many would believe in Jesus in this place, in this city. They're gonna believe because they encounter the words of Christ and the works of Christ. And just, oh, by the way, newsflash, Jesus performs his words and his works today through his people. That's us. So we go live for Christ this week. And we go speak about Christ because when people experience Christ, then they need that explanation of what they're experiencing. And, and we just get to tell them, look, the reason that I'm going to serve you, the reason I'm going to give up some time to, to make your day a little bit better is because of what Jesus has done for me. And oh, by the way, he can do the same thing for you. Let's pray about all of this. God, we want you to be the issue. We want you to be the issue in our life. We want you to be central because you are worthy. You are more worthy than anyone or anything because you alone are God. So God, I just, I just ask that you would forgive me, that you would forgive us because sometimes, God, we become too familiar with your words. We become too familiar with your works, and if we're being honest, sometimes we, we even get a little bored with you. And God, that's to our shame, but what's to our delight is that you're gracious, and you just keep showing up, <laughs> and you just keep opening our eyes to behold and believe and, and to, to rejoice in who you are and what you've done. And so God, it's, it's, it's our privilege to know you. 
and it's our privilege to live for you. And so, God, we pray that this week that, that it would be all about you, that our, that our worship, our, our work, our relationships, our good deeds, it would be, they would all be about you. Going to a Celtics game with your, with your daughter, it would be about you. Everything, God, for your glory, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.